This is Utah Survivors Podcast with your host, Brandon and Alex. In the world of true crime TV, we're bringing you the stories straight from the survivors. Victims don't become survivors without the help of a community. So every week, we will have a 30-minute interview alternating between a survivor of crime and an organization that helps victims in similar situations. Due to the graphic nature of crime, many of the topics we discuss may be difficult for some listeners. If you are in crisis or triggered by these discussions, please reach out to local and national hotlines listed on our website, utahsurvivors.org. Welcome to another episode of Utah Survivors. This week on the show, we have Ashley Drew with Pet Partners. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. You know, uh, Ashley and I know each other pretty well, but I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background, uh, your wandering career to get to where you are today, um, and anything else that you want to disclose. Awesome. Uh, Well, as Brandon said, my name is Ashley Drew, and I am the National Director of Special Events with Pet Partners, which we'll begin talking about in a little minute. Um, So my background is I've um, been a nonprofit for over 15 years. I absolutely love um, working in nonprofit, and I've always been drawn to organizations where things happen that are kind of outside of people's control. So I started my career at Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, um, which helps people with type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. And so um, that just kind of happens. Um, They don't ask for it. And so um, it was a really great organization I worked with for seven years. Um, From there, I moved on to the American Liver Foundation, which I was also with for seven years. And there's a hundred different kinds of liver diseases. Um, And so, you know, you can't just get liver disease from the stereotypes like drugs or alcohol. Um, There's actually quite a few genetic diseases that are included in that. So that was a really wonderful learning opportunity for me as well. From there, I uh, moved on to a local nonprofit law firm, which is actually where I met Brandon. And I was there for almost two years and had the wonderful opportunity to work with victims of domestic violence homicide um, and to work with their families. And that was um, a really, really wonderful um, opportunity. And then from there, I've moved on to Pet Partners and I'll be celebrating my two years in April. Um, And it's been really wonderful because our therapy animals bring so much joy to anyone and everyone who gets to interact with them because, I mean, who doesn't want to pet a dog or hang out with an alpaca for the day? (laughs) I mean, I have two dogs, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, when people, you know, see a dog just walking by on a normal day, like you can't help but smile and feel very excited. Um, And so this has just been really wonderful because we serve um, all different populations um, with our therapy animals and we have nine different species and we can get into that. But um, did I fully answer your question, Brandon? (laughs) 
Yeah, I think so. Um, exactly. And you know, I you just said you're gonna you're gonna celebrate your two years in April, and that's gonna be two years of Utah homicide survivors. Weird coincidence there, don't you think? It's a fun coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, and all of this, um, I don't know if we mentioned Ashley is in Arizona, and so that's. Mm-hmm. Um, but Pet Partners is a national organization with chapters all over the country and even in the world, um, and so uh, that's. Uh, knowing what she's been doing these last couple of years is what made me interested in bringing her on and having her talk. Um, but yeah, let's uh, uh, dive right into it, I guess. Um, so you mentioned you have, was it 13 species you said? We ha- we ha- uh, register nine different species nine of species. therapy animals. Yes. So what are these species? <laughs> So um, obviously, 92% of our total registrations are therapy animal dogs, um, but we also register cats and equines, which include horses, donkeys, miniature horses, miniature donkeys, um, rabbits, guinea pigs, rats, birds, pigs, and then, of course, uh, llamas and alpacas. Interesting. I don't know if I would think that like a rat would be a good (laughs) therapy animal. You know, for kids in a, a school setting, they think that it's really neat because we, again, we'll get into it a little bit later, but we've got a read with me program um, where we deal with literacy and we go into the schools and the libraries. And so, you know, school age kids think that rats are just wonderful. And, you know, not everybody's a dog person. And so that's what's kind of great about us having different species is that there's different animals for different types of people. And so, uh, sometimes people get excited to, you know, see a cat or some people have certain allergies, um, you know, to, you know, cats or dogs. And so maybe an alpaca might be an option for them. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of nice that we can, you know, offer this nice variety. That is that is helpful because I do agree. If not, everyone's a dog person, which I sometimes have a hard time accepting. I'm not going to be <laughs> honest. I mean, I will be honest because... I love my doggies. They are like my other children, but yeah, I do understand. So yeah. kind of, I know that there's like a science that got this whole thing started. Can you explain to us a little bit of what that science is in simple non-scientific terms? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can get into the science, but I, our, our mission is to improve um, human health and well-being through the human-animal bond. Um, what we found is that the human-animal bond is a mutually beneficial relationship that improves the physical, social, and emotional lives of those that we serve, and that should also benefit our animals as well. And so that's one of the main things that you know we ask our teams when they go out there is to make sure that both the, the handler, which is the person side of the leash, and then the animal, which is the therapy animal, that they work together and that every time they go to visit, they're both really enjoying what they're doing when they're serving their community. Nice. So we're like mostly dogs. So kind of dogs, do these dogs have to get started as puppies or can they get started later or what is the situation there? Sure. So we don't require any um, specific training um, for our therapy animals. Um, For the dogs in particular, we want to make sure that they've, you know, gone through your basic obedience um, and that they work well on a leash because you have to do an in-person evaluation, which will be a test that you and your animal will go through. And so for dogs in particular, when you're in the evaluation, we would be like, okay, 
Um, now I'm going to ask you to walk your dog in a straight line, and then periodically I'll tell you to have them stop, and then I want to see if they'll sit. Mm-hmm. So these are like animals that are for one specific person, right? That's- So that's a great question. So the difference between a service animal, an emotional support animal, and a therapy animal is very different. So a service animal and emotional support serve one-to-one. So that animal only serves its owner and lives with them, whereas a therapy animal serves one-to-many. So our animals go out into the community to make visits. Um, And so that's the main difference is that they go out and they help people, whether it's at a hospital through physical therapy or occupational therapy, or we go to our schools or we go visit our veterans um, who are serving our country. Um, It's very different because an emotional support animal only serves that person. You know, as you can see, a lot of them will take their animal on the airplane because they get anxiety when they fly. Um, or for a service animal, such as like a, a seeing eye dog or a diabetes dog, that only serves its owner. Interesting. I like that different role. So in what settings do these dogs kind of go out and serve the people? Uh, so lots of different ways. So we've got um, animal-assisted crisis response teams that are trained and credentialed to provide emotional comfort and support to people that are impacted by crisis events such as natural disasters, human-caused or technological disasters. Um, We also have, um, which I mentioned earlier, a Read With Me program where our therapy teams are really passionate about supporting literacy and providing engaging, non-judgmental reading opportunities for our students because uh, the kids get to read to the dogs and, you know, the dog doesn't care if they can't pronounce the word right or not. Um, So that's a really um, popular one that we have. We also have Walk With Me, which was one of our initiatives that was born in response to the 19th Surgeon General's call to action about um, walking for better health benefits, such as increased cardiovascular fitness, reduce the risks of heart disease, stroke, um, and some of those other things. Um, And so those teams can partner um, with medical facilities to kind of help with that. We also make life-changing visits to thousands of seniors each year that are at retirement facilities and assisted living facilities. Um, I have a really wonderful story um, that I plan on sharing with you guys a little bit later about a team that went to um, visit somebody that was in hospice and had just like a really um, incredible uh, moment for them and their family. Um, And then I mentioned that we visit our veterans, which is very awesome. Um, The U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs has partnered with us to help improve the quality of life, social engagement, and the health of our veterans by increasing access to animal-assisted activities and animal-assisted therapy services throughout the VA healthcare system. Um, We also go to a lot of different military bases here around the country. Um, And then, um, let's see, what else do we do? Oh, we're in um, children's hospitals. Um, And so... One of the really cool things is a recent pediatric cancer study showed that therapy animals help motivate um, pediatric patients to participate in their current treatments and want to get better and stay more optimistic over time when they've been visited by therapy animals. Um, And so that's one of the programs that we're also really proud of. And then more recently with COVID, we've been doing virtual visits. 
Um, and so people have been enjoying our therapy animals in new ways, whether they're coming up to a window um, to see them through the window, or some of them have been sharing photos, making videos. Um, some of our facilities have even been doing um, FaceTiming with our therapy animals so that people can still see them even though they aren't able to interact with them, um, which has been really great because you could imagine how much like isolation and loneliness people are, have been feeling um, in some of the facilities that we usually are getting to go to, um, but now it's just not quite um, safe. I I thought that was really cool when I saw that you guys started doing virtual visits mm -hmm. and, and all those. I mean, I wouldn't even think of that as like an option, but that's really cool that you can do the FaceTime. I mean, technology is great. Mm -hmm. um, and it just shows how far we've come. And even then, it, it, it might even be an option for kids who are allergic to dogs where they can, but they mm -hmm. still like dogs. And I, yeah, exactly. My daughter is a cat person and she will watch videos of um, sphinxes, which are hairless cats. And she just, every time she sees one, she's like, oh my goodness, it's so cute or it's so wrinkly. <laughs> they are so ugly. <laughs> Careful oh, there. Alex has, so Alex cute. has, or uh, Ashley has one. So. We do. Oh, yeah. I my still think well, my daughter is obsessed. <laughs> I know. I love it. I think like you've got to have, you got to love them. I have like the fuzziest, biggest dog. He's 105 pounds and a Bernie doodle. So he's just huge and fluffy. It's like the opposite. <laughs> um, oh, but I think, Alex, to answer one of your previous questions is um, a good therapy animal will have an affinity for interacting with people. They'll have a calm temperament and reliable behavior. So that's something else that you want to think about if you're trying to decide um, if your animal is right for therapy animal work. And so that's something else to, you know, be sure to think about is if, you know, they are super friendly or if you take them out quite often to, um, you know, farmer's markets or maybe you go to pet friendly, you know, restaurants um, and they're always, you know, very calm and quiet and love to be pet by strangers. Like you might have a potential therapy dog on your hands. That's actually what people have said about my dog. I got him some training at the beginning and they were like, he needs to be a therapy dog. And I was like, I don't have time for that, but he's my therapy dog. I'll take him home. <laughs> so I got him. <laughs> like he cuddles me at night. That's what I need. I I was mean, like, I need maybe you become where... a team and you bring him to the courts. And maybe exactly. for your clients. Mm -hmm. I, I remember when Alex got got the dog. She basically was like, I was bored and I saw this dog and so I got it. No, it was not bored. It was, I'm extremely lonely and have been single for, almost, well now five years, but the time it was four years and my kid was at his dad's and so I was very lonely and then up popped the cutest dog ever and I got him. <laughs> Same thing. So lonely, bored, <laughs> synonyms, right? Yes. So, um, with pet partners, we, we've kind of talked a little bit about all the different, um, services, different things that they do. I think, I think anytime I think of the therapy dogs, I imagine after like the mass casualties, when all the golden retrievers are getting off the planes, um, and everybody's super excited to see the therapy dogs have arrived at the airport. I think the most recent one that I've seen it with was Las Vegas. 
um, with the mass shooting, they yeah. uh, some organizations sent like 50 golden retrievers mm-hmm. or golden labs to be be there for the victims and different things like that. Yeah, yeah. Our our animal assisted crisis response program is incredible. It just launched um, in the fall of nineteen, and we've had a lot of teams, um, you know, take that opportunity to add that credential um, to their um, therapy animal team status. And so that's that's exactly what it's for. And and more, you know, relevant or not relevant, but you know, more of right now is we've had a lot of our um, AACR teams, um, you know, be deployed for in response to COVID-19 um, and going into the hospitals to try and provide some stress relief and comfort for all of those um, healthcare workers, you know, all of those first responders and frontline workers. Um, and so we've had a lot of really wonderful stories of people being able to create safety protocols to be able to have those visits and to provide um, that kind of support when everything kind of first started taking place back in April and May of last year. So uh, how many or do you have a track of how many organ how many chapters currently have that out of? All of the, I think you said you had 72 chapters. Was that right? So we don't have any chapters. Our organization's not set up in a chapter model, but we do have um, over 11,000 volunteers um, throughout all 50 states and in 50, all 50 states and 15 other countries. Okay. Um, so we've got handlers all over. All over. And so whenever there is um, a disaster or a crisis and they contact pet partners, we then will um, reach out to the teams that are animal assist crisis response um, credentialed to let them know where it is so that they can then be deployed because our teams are not allowed to self-deploy. So they have to be um, contacted by us and we provide them with the information um, so that they can then go and um, serve our community. So, like, for example, for Arizona, um, there were a bunch of wildfires last year. And so our teams up in Prescott received um, the notification. And then they went to go um, visit the people who had lost their homes in the fires. They had also, you know, were there to be with the firefighters themselves um, to have kind of a nice little break and stress relief. Um, so they were there just for everybody who was involved in that. Okay. That's really cool. I didn't even think about like for the first responders as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, they, especially in those kind of situations, they're working yeah. long shifts and everything else. So. so you work for the national chapter now, but have you, where did you start at in this organization? Sure. So um, Pet Partners has been um, an international organization for over 40 years. And in 2019, um, they had decided that they were going to try to grow their presence by opening um, local chapter offices, uh, kind of similar that to you know other nonprofits that you would think of, where they always have like a local staff presence um, and local events and that kind of thing. And so I was one of four executive directors that were hired. Um, we started with four pilot chapters in Arizona, Illinois, Texas, and California. And, um, you know, we were brought in to kind of start up an office, 
start fundraising activities, start meeting our local teams, hearing their stories, um, going and shadowing visits to see the kind of people that they're visiting and the different activities that they do on the ground. And uh, it was really wonderful. Um, we were really successful our, our first year of opening, and we're very excited to kick 2020 off um, with a bang. I had a program manager at the Phoenix office, and I had a program manager in my Tucson office. And so we were serving the entire state of Arizona between the three of us um, with nearly 700 therapy animal teams. And um, obviously, when COVID occurred, most nonprofits were hit incredibly hard um, because in-person fundraising events, um, which, you know, is kind of the bread and butter for chapter organizations, um, could no longer take place. Uh, originally, they were being canceled or postponed to the fall. And then as things progressed, I think a lot of um, nonprofits realized that um, having in-person events wasn't going to be safe or an opportunity. Um, and so that's when we um, had to close down our local chapter office. Um, and the the other ones as well. But um, and then I transitioned to a role um, at the national office. So that's where I'm at now. And so now I oversee um, all of our fundraising in our uh, signature events. And I'll also be creating some new signature events as we um, move into the future. But I think a part of our growth plan will be ultimately to get back to a chapter model once things are safe and safe and stable. Um, cause again, I can, I can speak for all nonprofits. It's been, it's been a very hard for all of us. You can say that again. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's cause it's, you know, had us all kind of think in new ways and try to be creative with all of these virtual events and fundraisers. Cause did you guys end up doing a virtual golf tournament or? We did an in-person okay. golf tournament, but they basically just spaced everybody out really well at the golf course, and then we weren't we didn't we weren't able to do like a in-person lunch or anything like yeah. that. So it's just the tournament part itself, which the in-person lunch is where you get all the fundraising from the right. silent auction. So yeah, yeah. So it's it's you know we're becoming more creative, and people are getting a little more used to uh, virtual live auctions. But I think there's a good portion of us that dream of the day where we can all come together again and, you know, go to a luncheon or a dinner or something to, you know, celebrate, um, you know, what all these great charities have been doing for our communities for years. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait because not having in-person events is incredibly difficult. <laughs> Alex, did you have a question? No, I accidentally tapped my microphone. And then I was going to say a question, but I thought someone else was. So I just stayed silent. <laughs> well, if you have one, you can ask it. Um, I was going to ask, um, I know that a lot of times therapy animals can be used with children when they're being interviewed for crimes or when they're at court or even adults when they have been victims of crime. Have you seen the benefits of those interactions? Um, I've seen the benefit of those interactions um, on different types of visits, but I can't say that I've been able or had the opportunity to witness it firsthand for any victims of crime. Um, I can only imagine how impactful it is. Um, but while I was a um, chapter executive director, I had um, spoken with one of our um, 
Scottsdale Police Department has a therapy animal program, and uh, quite a few of our police departments and sheriff departments in Arizona have um, therapy animal dogs registered through Pet Partners, which is really neat. And um, one of the officers had told me that they had um, shown up for a domestic violence call, um, which I believe ended up being a, a DV murder. And um, they brought Chase, who was their therapy animal, and he was able to be there um, for one of the victim's two children and kind of be a nice distraction while the rest of the police kind of handled the scene and, um, you know, took care of what was going on. And so, I mean, I can I can only imagine, um, you know, what it's like for someone to be able to sit there and just hug a dog or pet them and, and just talk about anything else that's going on besides what's actually going on. So you mentioned before that you, you had a either, I think it was one of your teams had a really great experience with response, responding with a, a, a either crisis or trauma. Um, oh, it was when, the, um, with a hospice living. Um, yes. And, yeah. Oh, the, facility, so, the facility visits. Yes. So, so this, the story always makes me cry. So <laughs> I will do my best. Um, so last week I had the opportunity to um, speak with Lisa, who's one of our therapy animal teams, and she has a rescued white lab named Phoenix. And um, she had told me that, you know, when they were a therapy animal team, they would go to the hospice units. Um, they worked with a professional team that actually worked with children who had been sexually assaulted, and they would attend in therapy sessions and help there. Um, and they also worked with, like, the literacy program um, through the, di the science center. And she said that one of her favorite stories um, for her in Phoenix was when she was visiting a man who she referred to as dad um, that was living at a nursing home. Um, in the hospice section. And so she had said that he had been slowly dying from dementia for a really long time. And so when they had arrived at the hospital, um, dad was sitting in a high-backed wheelchair and his daughter had heard that there was a new therapy animal team that was going to be visiting. And when she learned that Phoenix was a lab, she was like, oh, they have to come visit my dad. We had a beloved black lab named Ajax. Um, that, you know, was my dad's best friend. And I, I'm sure he would love to see a lab again. And so, you know, when Lisa and Phoenix heard about that, they made sure that that was the first visit that they made. And so Lisa had said that when they got to the room, that dad appeared to have no awareness of her or Phoenix or his surroundings. He was kind of slumped over in his chair. His eyes were screwed shut. Arms were curled around his chin and his fists were clenched really tight. Um, but she could see that the daughter was very excited to have them there and kept saying, Dad, Dad, um, there's a dog here to see you. Dad, can you open your eyes? Dad, do you remember Ajax? Um, and every time, you know, she said a different question, she had like high hopes that he would open his eyes or he would say something or even just raise an eyebrow to indicate that, you know, he could hear her, but there was nothing. And um, Lisa said she could kind of see the disappointment, but could understand that she wasn't surprised because at this point he had been silent and unresponsive for months. Um, and, but they still remained in there, you know, waiting to see um, if their, you know, presence was noticed. 
And so um, after about 15 minutes, Lisa was like, could I bring Phoenix over to his wheelchair and maybe set his head on his knee and maybe dad could pet him? And so um, his daughter was like, that's a great idea. And so it took a couple of minutes for them to kind of get settled, bring dad's elbow down and bring his fist closer to Phoenix's head. And as soon as his knuckle um, rubbed the top of Phoenix's head, he immediately opened his eyes, sat straight up and looked right at the two of them. And his daughter was like, oh, my gosh, dad, you're back. And with like intelligence and clarity and light in his eyes, um, he said that he remembered Ajax, his dog, and that he told her that he loved her and then kissed his daughter on the head. And then all of a sudden, his eyes closed. He slumped back and was no longer responsive. And so the two of them were crying and like looking at each other because he hadn't, you know, been awake or anything for months and all of a sudden when he touched the dog so it was just so so cool and so many of our teams have really incredible mesmerizing stories just like this I mean I hear them all the time and everybody's like how does that happen and we don't I mean people can just sense the love from animals and it's just so powerful that's a beautiful story. You got me all cry. teared up. I know. <laughs> I'm getting like the, you know, the goosebump chills when you hear those kind of stories. I've got the goosebump chills. Yeah. So that's awesome. But also for that daughter to get that moment with her dad. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. That's so beautiful. Absolutely. So with uh, pet partners, so that that kind of thing that you were talking about with bringing bringing in these teams, that's kind of like the animals at the facility program that you have. Tell us a little bit about the animal advocacy that Pet Partners is involved with. Sure. Um, so I think it was in November of 2019, um, we had an event called Meet the Pets that was hosted in conjunction with the Pet Industries Joint Advisory Council, where we actually brought therapy animals to Congress. Um, And so members of Congress, their staff, and other people at Capitol Hill had the opportunity to interact with some of our therapy animals, which was really cool. And they were able to learn about the value of the animal-assisted interventions and the work that our therapy animal teams do. Because um, one of our main goals is to educate the public about therapy animals and the power of the human-animal bond to help ensure that laws that affect standards and access for therapy animals are created with a solid base of information. Um, so our grassroots advocacy efforts really focus on bringing this information to lawmakers to help them in crafting sound policies around animal-assisted interventions. Um, And again, through this event, they were able to kind of like really see this in a hands-on way um, versus kind of being told about it. Because I think unless you've actually interacted with a therapy animal, you know, when you hear about it, you're like, yeah, of course, I love dogs. Like, you know, I can pet a dog. But like when you actually get to interact with one when they're kind of in the zone doing their thing, it's, it's so powerful and so different. I do have to agree with that. I like the first time the therapy dog was in court and I was in court on another matter. 
I could just see the victim calming down and actually the victim was calm and my client was struggling. She was about to have a full-on panic attack and my like skills were not helping. I was not able to calm her down. And the advocate knew me and she said, can I ask if she can? I can bring the dog over? Who? The handler of the dog. And once the dog was there, my client was fine. She was happy. She was calm. She was able to speak to the judge. And without that dog, I have yeah. that day would have been a lot harder for her to get through and a lot harder for me to help her advocate to the judge what she wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Uh, and there's so much research behind it. And I'm definitely not up to on all of it, but I know that the, it releases the dopamine and the serotonin levels, like so much goes on within the body when you, you know, pet and interact with a therapy animal. That's just incredible. It is true. And you were telling us that there was a group of like psychologists and doctors who started this, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And if anyone, they're going to know the science. So if you were to tell a victim or a survivor of crime, one thing in relation to kind of what you're doing, what would it be? I asked the hard question. Sorry. <laughs> I know. And this, you know, and, and, and working with, um, you know, survivors and, and victims of crime, you know, I just, I think you are loved. And there are people out there who support you and are going to be your advocate. And from what we do, our, ours are animals and they love you unconditionally and they think you're awesome and they're here to help. I like that. I like that you are loved because I really do think that's something a lot of our survivors either, like, I don't know if forgets the right word, but are, that's pushed away due to the trauma. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for coming on. We really appreciate it and appreciate all the work you do and that Pet Partners does. I know that they are an amazing organization and we're happy that we have our own little group of them here in Utah. And hopefully this will encourage the victim advocates in the state to reach out to the local chapter. If anybody wanted to get in touch with either the national organization or the local, I should say local chapter, but the local organization, either nationally or locally, how do they do that? Yeah, they can go to our website, which is www.petpartners.org. Um, and from there, they can um, contact us through the contact us form. Um, and then they can also um, search for the local volunteer group. Or if they have an animal that they think might be wonderful and they would like to become a therapy animal team and volunteer their time in their community, um, they can go to the volunteer tab on our website and um, find out what the steps are. There's also a fun little quiz that'll help you know if you and your animal are a perfect fit to become a team. Perfect. Thank you again. We really appreciated you and loved having you on here. So glad you could join us this week. We have highlighted an amazing resource within our community. We hope that if a resource like this is ever needed, you will know where to turn or where to direct someone. Information about this week's interview can be found on our website, utahsurvivors.org. There's no power for change greater than a community discovering what it cares about. This program is supported in part by grant number 18 w 
2025 from the Utah Office for Victims of Crime, awarded by the Office on Violence Against Women. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Office on Violence Against Women, the U.S. Department of Justice, or the Utah Office for Victims of Crime. Our theme song is DNA by Najee featuring Amber Lynn.